Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Fred Greenhalgh, and welcome back to our special mini-series, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, presented for you here on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows melds together six lesser-known, immortal short stories with timeless, relevant themes, originally penned by strange literary masters Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, Jack London, Jerome K. Jerome, Wilkie Collins, and Hector H. Saki Munro. This audio version is the original incarnation of the project, but it's also available as a graphic novel with an educational guide that aligns the graphic novel incarnation and the audio version based in STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, core curriculum. Together, they offer a listen, look, learn experience for public, private, and homeschool programs, both secular and non-secular, and includes activities for accommodated students. Learn more about this project, the Steampunk Steam Program, and access those materials at a-strange-journey.com. And now, the thrilling conclusion to A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. Previously, Hunter Brown traveled to Aradia Castle on the eastern edge of Romania. Its caretakers proved less than hospitable and insisted Hunter's presence was unwanted there. With little time remaining before having to leave, Hunter found his true love, Faith Geibel, in a hidden courtyard as she was placing grapes upon an ancient altar. A perilous force is headed their way. Faith, my sweet. Hunter, what are you doing here? I've come for you, to take you back, to make you my bride. You can't be here. You must leave. It's dangerous for you. If that is so, then all the better that you leave with me at daybreak. I've come through quite a lot to find you, you know. What's this? A feast of grapes? Do you feed a wild pet? It's nothing. Nothing you'd understand. And I'm sorry you're here. I I can't leave with you. Not having eaten, I helped myself to a few of the succulent grapes and considered the carved stone altar upon which they sat. These are delicious. Isn't this figure that of Pan, the Greek god? A satyr, I believe. To what are you feeding grapes? What was... We can't be here. Faith was earnest in my leaving. sincere in her trepidation. She took my arm and tugged, but I wasn't going to leave her. Undaunted, I pulled her to me. I fear no creature that would be drawn to grapes. Faith, I want you to marry me. You don't have to run away anymore. I'll never let anyone hurt you. I love you. Your love cannot change my destiny. What do you mean? The flute sounded as if a warning. 
There's no time. All right, I... I'll go with you, but we've got to leave this place now. What are you afraid of? I looked toward the commotion to realize a large stag was charging us. It seemed incensed by our presence. Faith frantically tugged my arm. Hurry! This way! Run! Run! Taking my hand, Faith urged me across an ancient courtyard toward the castle. Too late. The stag appeared, head down, prepared to gore me as I was the one closest. At the last instant, Faith pushed me to the side to shield me from the attack. Faith, no! As Faith was impaled by the stag, her body was thrown into me. I plunged backward, hitting my head against a stone wall. The world turned grey as Faith fell. I slumped into the grass and struggled to focus. I saw what I thought was a gigantic wolf attack the stag which thrashed, struggling to free itself from its captor. An antler pierced the canine. The pain-enraged wolf broke the stag's neck and the battle ended. The great beast seemed to acknowledge Faith's and my presence before dragging away its fresh kill. The world went black. When I awoke, darkness surrounded me, but for the faint light of Faith's lantern, it appeared to have been placed near me that I might either find my way or the death might be easier guided to me. Fog blanketed the ground. The air was still. The night hushed. The calm was unsettling after such horrific violence. A portion of my shirt was dark with damp blood, but I had not been wounded. Faith's body was gone, and there was a trail of blood that led away. Was it Faith's or that of the stag? Had Faith survived and abandoned me, or had her body been taken? Taken by whom or what? Surely the wolf would not have relinquished its kill for human flesh. Faith's sacrifice had saved me, and the thought of my losing her was daunting. What had I done? Why had the mistress caretaker lied about there being no wolves? I felt remorse and anger at having been betrayed. A movement in a nearby bush alerted me. I was being watched and I would not tolerate another assault from any beast. I had had enough. Demon, be gone! Creature, demon, whatever had been lurking had cowered away. Equilibrium uncertain, unsteady but recovering, I pulled myself to my feet. Holding the lantern close to the ground, I followed the blood trail, its light illuminated little else for any distance around me. I was as a bent, blind man and noticed not where I'd been led until the blood crossed a fallen gravestone within the estate's graveyard. Unexpectedly, 
The light of a full moon pushed back the darkness, and I found myself standing within a centuries-old graveyard that had been ruined by marauders. The cemetery was massive, with innumerable tombstones and burial monuments. Few remained upright. Several plots were agape, having been scavenged. Forgotten graves, unkempt and unkept. Headstones disfigured, contents pilfered, bones scattered and strewn. Others were dark and agape. I dared not look into those voids, lest an occupant leap forth. I thought of Walpurgisnacht, when the devil opens graves and bids the sinful departed walk the earth as apparitions. Had I witnessed this before? Impressive vaults displayed substantial damage. However, one stood apart, and the blood trail drew me to it. It was built of great marble blocks. On top, driven through the polished stone, was a sizable copper pike, a curious convention whose surface crawled with luminescence, not so unlike that I'd seen created by a Serbian named Tesla several years ago. Yet this force seemed different. My fascination was disrupted by a movement within nearby shadows. And again, there it was. The sound sent chills over me. Another wolf on night prowl? Had the blood trail drawn it here? Any tree I might climb was much too far to reach. I needed to hide, but where? I eased quietly around the corner of the large crypt to discover an entry cove with a recessed door. I set down the lantern that it might scare the beast away. I pressed myself tightly into the doorframe, hoping to make myself small so I would perhaps go unnoticed. The predator might instead elect to follow the fresh trail of blood. And I looked down. What a fool I was. I had trodden in the blood and my footprints glistened dark red upon the marble floor. The path would lead the beast directly to me. Then a miracle. The door to the crypt gave slightly. I hesitated. Which was the least of the evils? Wolf or the crypt's darkness? Which was the greater? The answer presented itself. An enormous canine's muzzle appeared at the corner, sniffing, snarling. The skin was grey and scarred, the teeth decayed, broken or missing altogether. Its breathing was laboured with a deep gurgle from a man with consumption just before death. Terrified, I pressed hard against the door and caused it to swing heavily open. I squeezed inside. Mustering my strength, I pushed the heavy door to close behind me. The impact resounded into the crypt's far reaches. I remained facing the door so as not to awaken the ghosts of the dead. Please, forgive my intrusion. Eyes clinched shut, fearing the beast beyond, dreading that which was surely lurking in the darkness behind me. My eyelids began to ache, and I could stand it no longer. 
I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. A chandelier's light illuminated the crypt's interior. There was no dreaded darkness to fear, but my relief was brief. Faith's body was laid out upon a spectacular bier. A metallic pike that pierced the ceiling. Its pulsing force spread into an array of delicate mechanizations. The gaping wound Faith had realized from the charging stag that nearly healed. Seen within it were delicate gears, cogs and pins that silently whirred and moved. The residual damage was in process of miraculous regeneration. This advanced science evidenced that Faith's existence had been sustained by some great intelligence. The family portraits now made sense. Faith had existed for generations. But how? Had she been passed down from inventor to innovator, to be maintained and improved by successive heirs? Old Geibel, the clockwork's toy maker, must have been Faith's caretaker and had only acted as her uncle. As I watched with wonder the apparatus that was facilitating Faith's healing, the crypt door opened. The manservant entered and closed the heavy door behind the mistress caretaker. As Er Geibel died, there is no one to take care of the girl or the machine that gives her life. It is a matter of time before the mechanism will fail, and so will her body. We will not be able to help her. It is for the best. She is flesh and blood, not just a clockwork device. The machine gives her immortality. Any damage is completely, perfectly repaired to original condition. You must leave this place and forget all you have seen. But I... I love her. I can try to forget what I've seen, but I cannot forget what I feel. What I'll always feel. You cannot ask a man to abandon his heart. As with Er Geibel and those who came before, you will age. First, you would be her lover, then her father, then her grandfather. Faith was created and exists to love only one. For you, it is a wasted life, a foolish situation. You must leave now. But if I can stay, I will learn how to take care of her and perhaps find a more practical way to exist with her for a longer period of time. Surely there's a way. I remained hopeful as the mistress caretaker and manservant exchanged knowing expressions. It has been done by one man. There is a way. What? How? I, I'll do anything. 
Open the door. The manservant opened the door. Then he and the mistress caretaker moved close to the wall and remained there, quiet and still. But there's a wolf. A satyr the size of a small boy appeared, timid, skittish. He entered but remained a safe distance from me. Nearing faith, he played his flute softly, just as her wound completed its healing. Faith opened her eyes as if waking from a night's sleep, and she sat up. Turning my back to the crypt's open door, I went to her. Faith! Astonished at what I had just witnessed, I could say nothing more but retrieved her hair ribbon and handed it to her. Alas, her smile was gentle and loving, but it was not intended for me, for she gazed past me. The satyr's song was not meant to awaken faith. Instead, it signaled forth. The enormous wolf had entered the crypt behind me. Its body was riddled with senescent scars. A fresh, mortal wound trickled blood. It was this animal's blood trail that led me here, and now I was trapped. I slowly backed away as the beast approached, his head low, legs flexed. It prepared to lunge. Faith offered her hand to the creature. My protective instinct bade me step forward, but the man stopped me. My movement prompted the wolf to turn towards me. The beast responded as a devoted guard dog and would protect Faith from me. The wolf immediately calmed as Faith gently stroked its scarred head and neck. The animal shivered as if chilled. Faith carefully placed the beard drape over the wolf. It tremored with a seizure that violently escalated. Faith held the animal until the wolf contorted and deformed. The beast fell to the floor where it writhed in agony. Its sinews tore and bones cracked as if they were shattering, then reconnecting to induce even greater pain. The torture this creature endured was unfathomable. I felt pity and compassion in watching the animal endure the horrifying process. Is there nothing we can do? There is little life remaining in he who is the last to know the secrets to Faith's existence. This was Wilhelm Geibel, master of Oradia Castle. It was their son, Nicholas Geibel, whom you knew as the old toy maker. He was to replace Wilhelm as Faith's caregiver. Faith is old Geibel's mother? My God! Herr Geibel was to return with Faith once the master perished, so all would run a more natural, 
perhaps less cruel course. Badly injured, decrepit and weak, the werewolf sorely rose on his hind legs to incompletely transform into a grotesque creature, barely resembling much of a man or human for that matter. Glaring intensely into my eyes, the werewolf approached and stood poised before me, his body suffering, his breath reeked of disease and decay. I dared not move for fear I might incite his instinct to attack. As Faith stood at his side, there was pained yearning in his eyes and I understood what the creature was proposing. The beast faltered and would have fallen, but I instinctively caught and braced him so that he could steady himself. His body felt cold as death was already upon him. He seemed grateful. Can you still say you would do anything to be with the one you love for as long as is possible? You could live a man's life without her. In turn, with no one to care for her, she would expire. All would end the madness and suffering with it. As a werewolf, you would live twice or thrice as long and ensure Faith's existence would continue. In return, she would love you unconditionally until you perish. You haven't much time. The master is dying. I considered the question and fought for a rational answer that would be true to my being, to my soul, to my heart. Will it be painful? Perhaps less painful than living with a broken heart throughout a lonely life. You see how it will be at the end. I... I understand. One must realize the risks in obtaining the unobtainable. I considered my choices, my fate and my faith. If I declined now, the opportunity would be lost forever. If I refused to accept, what would I truly have when I returned to England? When I had gazed into Faith's eyes, my soul was lost to her. Our kiss bound me. Seeing how she had looked at the beast, would any woman ever look at me with such devotion and love? Could Faith love me as she loves this beast? Was it not she who brought you here? Suddenly, the cleric's directive had meaning. Faith eternal lies beyond innocence. Embrace perpetual darkness for life everlasting. Resolved, I turned my head, exposed my neck, and gave the werewolf full access. Accepting his own fate, the beast gazed at Faith one last time, braced, took his final breath, and recoiled to strike, and...
Within the shadowed study of an isolated country manor, gaslights scantily illuminate taxidermic forms aesthetically arranged upon the walls. Their glassy eyes reflect the flames within a lighted fireplace. Hunter Brown retrieves the long-stemmed red rose from a crystal vase. Sweet-scented petals, a sturdy stem, graceful leaves, and in its gathering a finger may be pierced by protective thorns. One must realize the risks to achieve a goal. A man must be willing to sacrifice all to win that which he most desires. My life was spent in pursuit of the unobtainable. My journey motivated by and for love. I have no regrets. What began for me decades ago will most certainly end within the decades to come. What I did and what I must now do I am a man forever in love, and a creature forever loved until the end of my days. Faith, my love. Dear Hunter, such a lovely rose. The commencement of a ritual, Hunter gently kissed Faith's hand, then presented her the flower. Cognizant of the painful transformation that would soon overtake Hunter, Faith's sweet smile affirmed her undying devotion for her one true love. Answering a distant, familiar call, Faith lovingly stroked Hunter's cheek before taking his arm. Together, they would endure yet another hunt. And that was the conclusion of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows presented here on The Dark Tome. Uh, well, if you're still here, I hope you're not sick of scary stories yet, because I am making many of them these days. You can find my new podcast hosted by, well, me, and crafted by Realm, the podcast studio that's a portal to another world, by looking for Undertow. Undertow is a serialized horror podcast with interconnected scary stories all set in a strange, twisted version of Maine, uh, the state where I'm from and clearly have been uh, deeply traumatized by. New for October 2022 will be Blood Forest, a story all about the monsters that haunt the wicked western Maine town of Langley. Experience a razor blade sharp world where retired Marine Frank Parati becomes unwittingly entwined with the town's dark history of werewolves by searching for Undertow wherever podcasts are served. And we'll catch you here next time on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was written by Jan C.J. Jones as adapted from or inspired by the following classic short stories. The Dancing Partner by Jerome K. Jerome. A Wicked Woman by Jack London. 
The Traveler's Story of a Terribly Strange Bed by Wilkie Collins. Young Goodman Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The Music on the Hill by Hector H. Monroe, a.k.a. Saki. And Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was directed by Fred Greenhalge of Final Rune Productions, featuring Paul Hodgson as Hunter Brown, Tess Van Horn as Faith, Jenny Wren Walker as Annette, Kat Mararos as Girlfriend, Philip Hobby as Old Geibel, Tony Riley as Francis, Susan Riley as Matron Kit and Hostess, Tim Bates as Driver, J.P. Guimont as Cleric Traveler, Janice Gardner as Witch and Mistress Caretaker, William Dufries as The Narrator, Werewolf, and Mute. Additional voices by the cast. Recorded at The Studio in Portland, Maine with James Kerwood. Mixed by Final Rune Productions and mastered by Mind's Eye Productions. Production assistants Stephen Colby and Kelly M. Jones. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Additional foley and sound design by Adam McGinty. Original score by Peter Van Reet, with Eleanor Price as the pan flute. Also featuring Vampire Waltz by Pavel Krichtalik via Audio Jungle. Additional music acquired and licensed from Music to Hughes. Produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Copyright 2014 by Forest Rose Productions, LLC. Learn more about this story as well as the oddity and magic of the late 1800s at www.a-strange-journey.com.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.